Welcome to This Girl Puts Out. I'm your host, Carm Macaretta, and I interview real women with real stories about real life stuff. I'm inviting you to laugh, cry, and connect with my guests as they share some of their most impactful life experiences, from their brightest moments to their darkest hours. For more stories and an opportunity to share your own, visit me at thisgirlputsout.com. Welcome, everyone, to This Girl Puts Out podcast. I believe we are at episode number 15, which I really can't believe, but thank you, listeners, for being here. And today we're going to be talking about grief and loss. And I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine who has recently uh, suffered grief and loss. And um, Sandy and I met probably about four years ago. We are connected through our um, our uh, direct marketing skincare businesses, and uh, which is one of the little perks of a community like that. You get to meet great people. So I met this beautiful woman and uh, we've stayed in touch virtually. And when I saw what she went through this past year, I just knew that um, I wanted to talk to her and I knew that she had some information that could be helpful. And because she's a nurse, of course, she agreed because the helping people thing probably is what drew her. And so she has graciously agreed to share her story with us this morning. I'd like you to welcome my guest, Sandy. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, We're going to jump right in and just give us a a brief introduction about yourself. Who are you, uh, your age, if you want to share it, tell us about your family, occupation, etc. Well, I'm Sandy Magnano. I'm um, a mother of three really great humans. And um, my husband and I were married for 34 years. Um, Tony was a chiropractor and I've been a nurse for 38 years. How can I admit that? But I am. Um, so that's kind of, you know, my life in a nutshell. Um, and you're still working and I'm still working. Um, tell us about how you and Tony met and tell us, tell us about your love story. Well, it's interesting. I was dating a friend of my husband's before him. And uh, at the time, I'm dating myself. I was a waitress at Mulligan's on Hurdle Avenue back in the day. And I, my husband and I, you know, had crossed paths through some family events, which is very complicated. But anyway, um, He showed up one night at Mulligan's with his friend who came to see me and he just was really kind of a funny guy and a great sense of humor. And he went out and he shoveled off my car because it was snowing that evening. And then there was, do you want to have dinner sometime? So we did. And the rest is kind of history. Wow. So you connected immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. You did. You had me at, he took the snow off my car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a big thing. Sold. (laughs) (laughs) He was, my husband was always a gentleman. 
always. And I hope my sons mm -hmm. behave the same way. And I believe that they do. How long did you date before you were married? Um, probably, oh gosh, two or three years. Mm -hmm. What kind of person was Tony? A very happy, positive person. And at the time, um, you know, we were getting ready to be married. He had a sister who unfortunately um, passed away to Ewing sarcoma. And you could just tell his love for his family. I mean, he looked all over the world for cures for her. And they were very close. And unfortunately, at the age of 23, um, she passed away. And at the time, I was a nurse at Roswell. And we had three children in that age group, including my sister-in-law, pass away. And it was just a trying time. Um, but my husband just kept going. And, you know, very close to his parents and his bro other brother and sister and always stayed close with aunts and uncles and, um, you know, just was happy. Family was always first. Yeah. That's, that's a, a bright light to be attracted to. Um, well, how did you grow up? Did you have a similar upbringing or did you, were you close with your family? I, I am, was close with mm -hmm. my family. Um, my brother and I were a little estranged currently, but, um, you know, my parents, I lived in Corning, New York, so mm -hmm. my husband used to call me his farm girl because um, I came, you know, I was born in Buffalo but raised down in the southern tier. And my mom and dad divorced, I think it was my first year in college, um, and that was a bit of a rough patch. And um, my mom's remarried to a wonderful man who is very much my father as well, because my dad passed away in 2000 to colon cancer. Um, but my stepfather is a bright light, and my parents just celebrated their 43rd year of marriage. Wow, beautiful. So you grew up, grew up similar, loving family background. Um, how would you describe Tony as a father? one of the best. Mm. He um, really loved his kids. And, you know, with every birth, he was just, you know, he was over the moon. Um, and when our daughter was born, um, we never, you know, we didn't have gender reveal back in the day. You just right. were like blessed that you had a healthy baby. And we didn't know Jess was Jess. And, um, he was over the moon. And, you know, at first he said, oh, it's a little boy. Oh, no, kidding, a little girl. So, um, yeah, he was a great father. And he loved, just loved to spend time with his kids, whether it was going to their sports events or dance recitals or as adults, um, you know, he would go on dates with his daughter and they would have the great greatest of times and she was lucky to have a date with her dad in June before he passed away so that is a mm -hmm. very good memory for her yeah. yeah who was the heavy when the kids were growing up and needed you know 
heavy direction or discipline? Oh, you're looking at her. (laughs) (laughs) I knew the answer to that anyway, but. (laughs) Yep, mom was always the final say. And, um, you know, my husband would soften the blow with everything. So if my daughter was dating somebody he didn't like, he would soften it like, you know, honey, you're probably dating a serial killer, but I really like you to, you know, maybe change your opinion on this. And mom would just cut to the chase. He's a fool. Dump him. And um, yeah, Tony just had that way about him. Oh, funny. How did your um, relationship evolve over, you know, 34 years together? How did, um, you know, were you still as in love? Did you, obviously, I'm sure you went through some difficult times, every couple does, but um, would you say your love just deepened over the years? I would say that, and love changes with time. And you're right, marriage is, you know, not easy some days. And, you know, you do have some rough spots. And, you know, you, in the society we seem to live in today, people don't want to work through those challenges. And, you know, when you make that commitment before God and you say for better, for worse, well, you make the commitment and you try to work it out unless it's, you know, a situation that you really can't live with. But I can't say that that was our lives at all. And, um, you know, through the years, you know, you lose parents and family members and you sort of grow and you appreciate things and, like I said, and he loved what he did for a living. And his, his patients lovingly called him Dr. Happy. Mm, well, that's a testament right there to what kind of guy he was. And somebody that loves their job, they're, that's a happy person. It's a happy person. Yeah. And you know, healthcare is not easy. So, you know, you're listening to people's problems all the time. I will say that um, when he first got sick, no. I don't think any of his patients knew. I mean, it was a complete shock when he died. So when you say he, when he got sick, so he had, he had some chronic health issues that had been found prior to his passing. So tell us, tell us about his, his health. So it was December, I'm going to say, was it five years ago, I guess, when you Mm -hmm. really break it down. Um, He started coming home and would just fall asleep. And he was losing weight and didn't look well, Um, but he hadn't connected with his primary care doctor in several years. Mm -hmm. And so when he finally said to me, you know, do you think with all your connections, you can find a primary care doctor for me? So, you know, we were on waiting lists and Mm -hmm. and all of that. And then in... um, Towards the end of May, his parents were snowbirds and came back. And his dad had leukemia, and it was it had spread, and he was very sick. So my father-in-law passed away, and we were at the funeral home. And a friend of ours is a friend with um, a local PMD. And I said to my friend, Tom, please see if you can reach out and see if your friend will take Tony. And Tom did. And Tony was in the office having blood work, I think that Monday or Tuesday, and they felt a mass in his abdomen. So um, he went back to work. I went back to work. And when I got home, 
you know, I knew how sad he was over his dad and little did we know how advanced my mother-in-law's Alzheimer's was. Um, my husband said, sand, they're waiting for me at Buffalo General. And so we were in the emergency room. We packed a bag, went. And within an hour, he had a dialysis port and a Foley catheter. And he was in stage five kidney failure. So what he had is a bladder neck outlet obstruction that had been going on over the years that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, know that it was happening unless you were having regular blood work. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and at the time, when he was in the unit, his potassium was 8.2. And he had nine liters of urine in his bladder that they drained. Why his bladder didn't burst or his heart didn't stop based on that is Ugh. a miracle. But he went back to work in three weeks with a dialysis port and a Foley catheter. And we sort of, you know, lived around that schedule. Um, but they decided to take him off dialysis because he had stabilized. Mm -hmm. And then we linked with Cleveland Clinic and they, were give, they gave him the ability to not have to self-cath anymore. Mm -hmm. So we figured, well, you know, maybe without having that inflammation all the time, his kidneys would improve. But he really was never out of stage four kidney failure. And for three years after that, um, you know, we also took care of my mother-in-law who had a terrible battle with Alzheimer's. And... She died in May, and six weeks later, my husband passed away. Um, we were moving, I'll never forget the day, we were moving my daughter across the hall into a bigger apartment. And the week before this happened, he had blown out his bicep playing tennis, and he kept his arm up on the couch, his right arm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, looking back, if he was feeling something more than his blown out bicep. Mm -hmm. And we finished moving Jess and all of a sudden he sat down on her love seat and he had this funny look in his eye. And I said, honey, what's the matter? And he looked at me and he said, sand my chest and his eyes rolled back and that was it. So Jess called 911. I got him to the floor and started CPR and they worked on him for a good hour. He's beautiful EMS, <laughs> Buffalo police, Buffalo fire. And they looked at me and said, this is the only shot he has on this floor. And, you know, he was never out of VTAC, never had a heart rhythm. And as an old nurse, you know, when somebody mm -hmm. leaves, he just left. And as hard as that was for my children, I realized it was God's plan because he could never say goodbye to any of them in a hospital bed. So, and he, during COVID, he would be the one, I'm certain, to have contracted it because he'd be in his office taking care of his patients. So as you know, like I said, as hard as that was, when you look back, God had a plan. And my husband always believed that. I can't imagine doing CPR on my husband on a loved one. I can't imagine what that was like for you, but you probably went into just superhuman mode, right? I mean, you probably weren't really, you were functioning on autopilot, I would imagine. You were functioning on autopilot and the shock and you're just like, this is really happening. 
and um you know i was praying that my compressions were deep enough and you know my breasts were good and you know i just kept saying stay here stay here and um he it he was not meant to stay that day yeah. so unfortunately you know two of my children had to witness that and my oldest son who lives in nashville was on the phone with them and heard all of this and it was as hard as it was for me to see them you know have to go through that experience and then go to the hospital and know 15 minutes later they had pronounced tony he had no electrical activity in his heart but those beautiful heroes that showed up that day i am forever grateful they're a part of the story and they are part of the story um and I need to, I, I do have the firehouse um, that responded, and one of my neighbors is a police officer, so I want to, before Christmas, and it's been on my to-do list, to go down there and deliver pizza and say thank you. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I can't imagine, you know, you're dealing with your own pain your own disbelief but having to look at your children's faces and have to deal with their sadness right so you're dealing with your own sadness but you kind of can't because their sadness comes first right it right? does so yeah. so you're still a mother through all of that um so how did your coping and your grieving evolve like was looking i mean it's only been it was a year in june correct yes june 29th okay so i'm sure your grief is still evolving you're still going through going through it so can you tell us maybe over the last year how how you went through it you know it's interesting um you're right i i said to myself i have to get my self through this and I have to get these kids through it and they were beyond devastated and um, we are as a family we are so blessed with the family and friends that we have they kept us moving these are the people that show up and you say I need this funeral home because I know there's going to be a lot of people and they make appointments for you and they make sure your kids are picking out their dad's outfit and um, they just kept feeding us and moving us and I can't I am so very very grateful and blessed for these people um, but the second piece after getting through the you know long day at a wake and then the funeral um, the realization is we had to sell his practice um, and take care of his patients. Mm -hmm. He did have some doctors that were working for him, and I needed to find the right fit. So I did not have a lot of time to sit and, you know, let grief sort of take over. Mm -hmm. Um you know, we had to get a hold of an attorney and financial planners and, you know, what do we do here? And um, my husband up in heaven sent me a lot of good people. And, 
you know, we just, um, when goodwill leaves a practice, because it was based on my husband, um, we just needed to keep the practice moving and get the right person in. And, you know, all his patients depended on him, and so did the people that worked for him. And that was the goal. And then I went back to work in three weeks, which my employer at the time was fantastic and said, whatever time you need, you just do what you have to do. And if you just want to sit here and sit in the corner and cry, well, that's okay, too. We support you on that. And we just, um, my son was between jobs. So having the business part of it, he was very helpful in the transition. And we ended up selling the practice to one of my husband's um, colleagues that he absolutely loved. Dr. Mark Ferry and his brother, Brian Ferry, um, bought the practice Mm -hmm. and couldn't have had a better fit. So, you know, when I would have, and, you know, my house was, I had people over all the time. And it got to the point, at one point in time, where I finally said to my friends, I'm okay, and I just need to sit in my backyard and let it go. And they, people then understood, you need your time to just grieve. Yeah. And... Then my middle son, who's a nurse, moved in. He was um, he had an apartment. He said, you know, Mom, maybe I should move in and help you. And that'll help me save some money because he's going to grad school. So my son, Jonathan, moved in and, you know, helped with a lot of things around the house. Um, and he helped move me into the direction of being able to take care of this home myself. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget right after Tony died, um, my oldest son, Anthony said, you know, mom, I don't think you can keep this house. It's going to be too much for you. I looked at him and I said, I'll tell you when I can't take care of this house anymore. It's the home I know. I've lived here for now 36 years. And if I didn't get up one morning, I'd have two neighbors knocking on my door. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just, and I've renovated the house that, you know, it was a project we were going to work on the upstairs. So I managed to do that myself and we just keep moving. Carm, I know as crazy as that sounds. Um, another thing that really helped me tremendously is I had a little heart scare right after my husband died. And I'm certain it was stress. And at the time, I was probably 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, I have to be here for my kids. And so I have to take my health under control. So I started going back to the gym and spin class. And that was really motivating. And I, you know, was eating better and taking care of myself. Um, and when the pandemic hit, I said, oh, no, no, gyms are going to close. I ran out the day before the pandemic and bought myself a bike to put in the basement. <laughs> and my son set up his gym in my husband's um, barn, and we just, you know, worked through it that way. Yeah, so so you are self-medicating with uh, exercise and taking care of yourself. And you could see how easily it can go the other way, though, like how somebody can just start drinking too much or, you know, everybody picks their 
whatever it is to cope, right? So right. some of us cope in a healthy way and others not, not so much. And I don't know, um, I guess a lot of factors go into which, which way you go with that. But, you know, taking care, having to take care of um, the business and legal stuff, that probably took a long time, right? There had to be a few months maybe. It's, I mean, the business is sold. Um, there are some other things that need to take, be taken care of, Yeah. but it does take time. And I don't think people realize that. Um, the other piece, you know, as a widow, you realize my husband would always say to me, you don't have to worry about that. And then one day you do have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to backwash the pool. So the kids and I learned pool maintenance 101. Um, there was just so many things I didn't know, but I had to learn. So my advice to all the ladies out there, you do need to know this information. I mean, it's a fact of life. And you hope you never need to use it. But in my case, I did. And I'm still learning um, and evolving with that. So it's a, to be a work in progress would be an understatement. Did you find that um, having to take care of all the legal stuff, you know, I, I, I know, you know, when after watching my father pass and watching what we had to take care of as a family and I've witnessed my husband's family go through it and, and you having to deal with a lot of uh, business type of things, it keeps you it keeps you from actually starting the grieving process sometimes because you're almost still in it, right? Cause, cause them being gone isn't really official until all the stuff is wrapped up. Right. And there's exactly there's stuff that can take a year to wrap up. You know, there's a lot to do when someone, when someone leaves us and uh, it's, I can see how it would prevent or prolong the grieving because you really, you know, as long as you still have to take care of all this stuff, they're kind of still around in a, right. you know what I mean? In a sense, um, how are your children doing now? They're doing well. I am really proud of all three of them. Um, do they have their moments? Yes. They mm -hmm. still have hard times. Mm -hmm. Um, what was amazing to me is that my daughter was able to stay in the apartment that, you know, her dad essentially had mm -hmm. his heart attack and she stayed for a year. And I believe she felt that it was the last thing her dad did for her and that she needed to stay there. And then one day she said, you know, mom, it's, it's time for me to move. And so we moved her in the middle of the pandemic, of course. And, um, <laughs> You know, they, they, they've all done extremely well. Um, the fact that John and Jess are in Buffalo is wonderful, and I'm hoping my son Anthony comes back, and that looks like it might happen. Because um, Nashville, you know, it's, it's, it was a good place to go, and he mm -hmm. had to prove himself that he mm -hmm. could, you know, do that. And he lived in New York for a while. Um, Watching, so during the pandemic, he and John were in the house with me and watching your children as adults be these strong, 
incredible people handling business deals and everything was a real blessing for me. Um, Cause you think of them sometimes as your little kids and mm -hmm. they're really not, they're adults now. And um, very, very proud of them. And they are still working through things as I am. And I think it's, it's interesting. So at Christmas time, I looked for a book for my son, Anthony, about grief. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, when you're removed from it and you don't live in it every day, mm -hmm. it's a little different experience. So I bought this book called Second Firsts by Christina Rasmussen. And we got through Christmas. He was going back to Nashville. We packed up his things. And his box never got there. And so what happened is he packed his box and mom should have maybe checked it and a bottle of olive oil broke all over the items in his, his box from his Christmas gifts. Anyway, I retrieved the book and it wasn't really damaged and I started looking through this book and I realized it was the book for me. And she talks about how to start over again mm. and to live and you know, find yourself again. And I realized as a, a young widow, I had to do that. So I kudos, and it's a book that I recommend um, to anybody, Second First by Christina Rasmussen. She's an awesome lady. She does a podcast, and I've been following her. And, you know, she lost a husband with two young children. I think he was in his late thirties, early forties to cancer. So her, her struggles sort of helped me move through my struggles. Mm -hmm. um, you've given us some good advice already. Um, I'm trying to, cause at the end of this, I have written down uh, what kind of advice do you have <laughs> for women in terms of preparing for something like this or for dealing with it. And you mentioned, um, getting to know some of the things around the house that you think you're never going to have to do, but also this book. Um, so second first by Christina Rasmussen. Yes. Um, we'll check it out. Funny how that came to you as your gift instead of for your son. It was, it was meant to be in your hands. It was meant yeah. to be in my hands yeah. and I didn't really look at it in Barnes and Noble, mm -hmm. but it came back to me and it was supposed to really be for me. Mm -hmm. um, have you had to say the words, I'm a widow? Has it, you know, has that come out of your mouth? And if so, what does that feel like? I have said it because, you know, um, it's a strange place you find yourself in and, but when you, it's the realization that um, you are and there's nothing that you can, you can't redo it. It's, mm -hmm. it's the, the reality that you live in and um, people, you know, it's strange, but when you are widowed, some people leave your life because it's, too hard for them to understand, you know, it was always Tony and Sandy and now it's just Sandy and people are uncomfortable around widows. 
um, I've found. And they don't quite know how to take you or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what to say. And it makes people think about, well, this could be me too. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Um, so after Tony died, a dear friend lost her mother a few weeks after Tony. And then another very good friend lost her husband. And we just, it just kept, it didn't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our dearest friends, Father Gallagher, who actually buried my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my husband, he passed away in the November after um, all of this. You know, Father G always would respond by email, and I hadn't heard from him. And I said to my son, John, you know, I'm just a little worried. I haven't heard from Father Gallagher. And John went over there, and he goes, you know, Mom, the house is totally dark. And Father Gallagher, you could always, you knew he was home because the smell of his pipe, you, mm. you could smell outside the door. But John said, the house is dark, and I don't see anybody. And then maybe a week later, um, I heard that he had passed away. And it was just one too many funerals that we were attending. And Father Gallagher passing away probably hit me in my gut like, I couldn't quite, it, it, it really was a dark, dark time for me at that juncture and for my kids because they couldn't walk in and see another funeral. I mean, it was just nonstop. Um, so, yeah, I, I've had to say it. I'm a widow and, um, you know, the, the, this is the reality. Yeah. So, so you lost some friends. What would you say? You lost some friends or they, they stopped uh, being comfortable around you, so they retreated? They retreated. Uh-huh. And now, you know, say today you were in a conversation with somebody and they said, oh, are you married? And you say, I'm a widow. What, what, is, the, what is the general reply you get? How do people respond? Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And um, I think that's what, you know, the response is. They, yeah. And then I try not to focus on that with them. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah, they're, they're taken aback. And, you know, you, you um, as I say, you don't have an opt-out clause on that. Right. <laughs> What, uh, is there something that we need to know to be more sensitive to, to someone who's recently lost somebody or to a widow, maybe there's something we shouldn't say. (laughs) No, I I think, is there one thing you shouldn't say? I don't believe there is. I, because people mean well, and they just, you know, some Conversations are awkward, um, but I, I think they mean it out. They say it out of a place of love, and they sure. don't know. And um, you know, I can't think of anything that somebody said mm-hmm. that just blew me out of the water. Right. Um, I, I think you know, you just be you to That's to it. people, you know, and whatever words come out, they do and. Um, a 
my oldest friend, I've known her over 50 years, just recently lost her daughter to her battle with leukemia at 40 years old. And she lives in Corning. And I knew that I just had to get in the car and go. And I didn't know what I was going to say. Um, but I just was with her. And sometimes just letting people be is what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, it was heartbreaking after uh, Heather died, you know, the whole funeral and COVID and all of that. But um, we, after the funeral, we went to her son-in-law's house for a funeral breakfast. And on the way back, because I had to drive back that day, Um, My friend Marg looked at me and she goes, can I go back to the cemetery one more time? And I said, sure, honey, let's go. And so we went back to the cemetery and she sat in this newly dug grave, took her shoes off and I just let her be. Mm. And, you know, my advice to anybody and and friends that go through this, just let them be Mm -hmm. whatever they need for that moment. Mm And keep keep in touch because they need that. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a conversation the other night, and she's doing okay. You know, one day at a time. Sometimes it's an hour at a time. I yeah. found that right after Tony died. You know, if we can get through this next hour. We're going to be okay, and and we are. Um, I think you know, grief is. Grief is grief, whether it is your husband of 35 years or your child. You know, nobody can measure somebody else's grief. Um, Grief is a fact of life, as you said, and um, we don't always know how to help somebody, you know, and there's a lot of awkward, awkwardness that goes Mm -hmm. into um, being around people who are grieving and not knowing what to say. I can recall countless awkward conversations in funeral homes at wakes and it you know what did you just you walk away going jesus i sounded so stupid <laughs> you just don't know what to say sometimes but boy you really you really hit on something is you know the caring the the genuine place it's coming from comes through and i think maybe expecting awkward conversations is probably something we should do when, when we're grieving. Um, So what is Tony saying to you today? You keep going, honey, you're doing great. And I'm proud of you and you just need to take care of the kids. And even though they're adults, they still require, you know, mom's care. And we still try to, you know, stick to the traditions that they grew up with. Mm -hmm. And they've changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year for Christmas Eve, we, the kids and I just went out to dinner, the four of us, which my husband probably would not have approved of because um, we were always at his aunt's house, but we realized it was just, we couldn't do that. Mm. And then we had our usual Christmas day where we have open house 
And our traditions have been tweaked a little bit, but um, when Anthony was here and we still try to have Sunday dinner together as a family, um, and you make new traditions as well. And you keep the old and the new and um, you, you find your way. You really do. I say grief is like, this is my only analogy. Grief is like you're swimming in the ocean and you're swimming, you're doing fine, you're above water. And then all of a sudden this wave takes you under and you're drowning. And then the next day you get up and you're swimming again and you just keep going and you do get knocked down, but you do get back up. And my um, stepfather has a saying, and it reigns true with my kids as well. Great captains are made in rough waters. And that's the truth. What do you do in those times when you're underwater, though? How do you get through that hour? You sit and let yourself have that good cry. And, and it's best that you're alone with it because... It is your moments. And, you know, I've, I've had some dark moments, but in that instance, friends would know that and they would just be and be around. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it, the re- realization of, so my husband loved his backyard and um, just sitting back there knowing that he was not going to enjoy what he had made back there. I needed to come to grips with all of that. And um, I did a lot of crying outside in my backyard. Um, But I've also learned to let go of things. Mm -hmm. And you forgive a lot of things and... You know, there's a cleaning out process and there's no right or wrong. Um, I tried to give, you know, my children whatever they wanted from their dad. And, but it was difficult. You know, a bag of clothes some days was the only thing I could take to the church. And my husband was a clothes fashionista. So he had (laughs) suits and all, you know, shoes and jackets and things um and some of our friends have taken some of these things and it makes me feel great that they have them um our best friends you know their son has uncle tony's kohan boots and he had them on the other night for halloween and he goes aunt sandy i just feel great in these boots mm. and it's just that is made my heart sing yeah yeah That's awesome. Um, You brought up one more good point I want to make before um, I ask you the next question. Uh, There's no no right or wrong with grieving. There really, there really isn't, I think. um, But there are, there are like clinical stages of grief. I think it's important that somebody is moving through them. Um, Maybe they're going to take a long time to move through one stage, you know, they might stay in it longer than somebody else, but it's very personal. I think how you move through grief, um, it has to be your, your path, your passage. And 
Um, time. I think time is the healer that uh, you just can't underestimate. Time has a way of diffusing and diluting things a little bit so they're a little easier to deal with. Um, I would imagine, you know, in the early stages, you couldn't picture, you couldn't even fast forward a year from then thinking, how, how am I going to, what am I going to be doing then? Or how am I going to get through this? It just, but time has a way of just moving on. And, and you really, as you say, you can't do anything about it. Um, the reality is the reality. So have you, um, have you thought about sharing your life with anybody else at this point or no, too soon? Um, you know, I have, mm -hmm. and um, that's a touchy subject with your children. Um, but I look at it this way. If I had left this earth at my husband's age of 61, I would certainly want him to find companionship, whatever that meant. Um, and I, you know, my oldest said, mom, you have a better social life than I do now. But <laughs> the, the reality is, you know, I am alone. So when friends say, do you want to go to brunch? I'm like, yeah, let's go to brunch. Or, you know, things that um, my husband had a pretty set schedule because of work. And, you know, he, again, when you're in stage four renal failure, you're, you're not, you don't feel great after you've mm -hmm. worked all week. Um, so he wasn't one to always, you know, want to do things on the weekend. Um, so now I don't have to answer to anybody and I just say, okay, let's go. Yeah, I can uh, go. <laughs> I can go. I'm available. <laughs> And so I have, and I, like I said, I have such great people in my life and I have reconnected with old friends. Um, it's been a real gift and, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you, as my parents tell me, you have a new chapter to write. Um, you're young and you can write this new chapter in your life. And that is kind of where I am at right now. That's kind of exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. I mean, I've switched jobs, um, which is a good thing. Now I do telemedicine from um, my bedroom office upstairs. And my dogs are very appreciative of the fact that mom's not going out to work anyplace right now. Um, and I'm doing some schooling to be a certified nurse life care planner. Nice. And that's been interesting. I, you know, I was telling the kids and they're like, mom, I don't think at this juncture, there's nothing that you can't do. So it's, you know, I'm doing that. And I don't know what the next 20 years is going to look like, or hopefully uh, longer than that. I hope someday to have grandchildren um, and to see my children marry and find their spouses, the love of their lives. I think they're going to have very difficult moments. Um, I think of my daughter walking down the aisle without her dad. And I think, well, your mother's going to walk you down the aisle. And another young man who um, is very special to me, uh, an attorney I used to work with, lost his dad 
at, I believe he was 18 years old. So when he had his first son, you know, those moments that sort of bring you to your knees because you want to say, Dad, wait till you see this baby. And my response to my children is, you can talk to Dad because he's listening and he does see. And feel him in your heart because that's exactly where he sits. Mm -hmm. And my son had a very interesting – he walks at night in Nashville, and I usually talk to him every evening. And he said, okay, Mom, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm going for my walk. And I said, okay. So I went to bed, and I get this phone call maybe half an hour later, and he's crying on the phone. And, you know, mother's voices certainly go to the, oh, my God, what happened? Are you bleeding? Were you hurt? What's going on? And he goes, Mom, I had the most beautiful moment. He said, I was on my walk, and I felt like somebody was following me. And I kept turning around and turning around, and I didn't see anybody. But he said, I looked down, and there was another shadow right next to me. And my dad was on my walk with me. And I said, yes, he was. And as painful as it was, it was just... One of those moments that you're like, beautiful. You're here. Oh, wow. That was a wow moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, No, I feel my dad all the time. I can tell you when he's in the kitchen with me. (laughs) (laughs) And what's he saying? Carm, don't add that to the sauce. Yeah, right. No, he's, he's just, I know when he's there. I just, you, it's something that you, that you sense and that you feel. And I believe that they're there. They are there. Sandy, there was, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, no. There, um, so on a, a ride that I sort of got lost on my way to Olean, and I was driving through fog that mm-hmm. scared the bejesus out of me because Tony and I had had a ride like that down in uh, West Virginia. And I started to panic a little bit on, you know, not really being able to see well. And all of a sudden I got through the fog and there was this big monarch butterfly. And in flowers that I don't even remember choosing, I just said to the, you know, Williams florist, this is what I need. And she had put this beautiful monarch butterfly in my flowers. And it looked like that butterfly that was, on my journey in my, you know, to get me to my destination in Olean. So there are always signs. Um, I have a cardinal that comes and goes. Mm-hmm. And um, my son thinks that there's a deer that sort of represents his dad in the back. So there are all these, you know, little subtle signs that I'm around. Um, it's funny in the basement, there's a computer speaker that just starts yelling at me sometimes <laughs> thinking, what don't you like now? <laughs> but um, yeah, they, we do have our moments. Yeah, so finish I, your story. I just, I love when those things happen and real or perceived, they're important. They, are they important. really are. They're important in that moment. And um, I love when I have a, a sighting or a feeling. Um, and they help us. 
They help us. Um, Sandy, any other advice you would want to give to give a woman, uh, a spouse, anybody? I think be patient with yourself and, you know, you do fail. I mean, I've made mistakes and I've overthought things with my children and overcompensated and blew it. Um, But then I say, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, you didn't know this was going to be this second part of your life. So, you know, you just, you learn and you grow and you keep moving. You got to be open to the process, I think, because there is no rule book, you know, and how how you're going to go through it is how you're going to go through it. And that's a really good, good thing to a good piece of advice, patience with yourself. Um, Before we wrap up, I, I, I think this is becoming my theme. I always like to ask my guests, what, what is it that you're most proud of uh, from this experience? Um, hmm, so many things. I'm proud that I can live again and that my children are living again. Um, I am... As I've said to you multiple times, I am so grateful for the beautiful people in my life. And they make my life better. And I also think when you start saying to yourself, you need to, and I've said this to my kids, find some joy in each day, whether it's the sunrise, um, you know, dinner with your friends, um, just a moment, but Mm -hmm. every day look for that girl named joy and embrace her because some days are harder than others. And always know that the next day you get up, you are a little bit better. You, you know, you ride that storm. It's like the wave hit you, but you can get up and tomorrow is better. So I think when we find joy and we have gratitude in our hearts um, and we help others, I think, we help ourselves as well. It sounds like a beautiful place to end this story. And I want to thank you for being so generous with sharing all those intimate details and sharing your story with the world. And uh, I know there's somebody who needs to hear something that you said today, Sandy. So this is a part of your of your um your new chapter so thank you for doing thank you and um i can't wait to we didn't talk about a photo that i'm going to put up on the website for the podcast but i can't wait for everybody to see tony i can't wait for everybody to see that smile (laughs) i mean that one picture of him on the dance floor just was um that was him. That was his essence. Was he him. was the life of the party and um, he loved life. And so that's, you know, patients um, still talk about that, you know, yeah. and they so miss him. I mean, because he would start off his um, his interaction with his patients and it was 
like, well, how are you? Because you knew where somebody was emotionally Mm -hmm. sort of dictated how their health was. And Dr. Happy always took time and loved his patients, loved what he did. And that's a gift if we all can find that. Yeah. He sounds like he's a great man, and uh, I'm so grateful to have gotten to know him better through this. And uh, yeah, I look forward to to getting a, a picture up of both of you, of course. Um, so, Sandy, thank you once again for sharing yourself with this girl puts out, and we are officially going to sign off. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And for more stories about real-life women, visit thisgirlputsout.com.